1: wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we
2: touch him? No, don't.
0: Help me. Help. Help.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here uh, in the manly Warthog Man Cave here in the piney woods of north central Florida in the Mellon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention 24-7, three Let's see if I can see myself here quickly. Uh, maybe I can, maybe I can't. We'll get into it in a minute. Um, got a good show today, hopefully today. I mean, hopefully I don't disappoint you. And um, if I can see myself on the screen here, I'll feel a more comfortable about the fact that I am actually getting a note out of the bottle. Production, can you show me myself, man, please? Um, anyway, um, they're going to be doing that in a minute. So I know I'm getting out to y'all. Today's show is entitled uh, you know I work on these titles the Public School dilemma and I don't think there's any secret to the fact that um there are a lot of issues that have become focused in the public school world, and probably rightfully so I mean if you think about it it's um it's the it's the right right place to have um the discussion because that's where the kids are, and that's really. The focus, let me see if I can pull this up a minute, uh, that's the focus of a lot of discussions and issues. So let's see where we go here now. Hang with me. Yeah, here we are. And Let's see if we can get going here. Um, so I can see you checking. Ryan Cox, welcome from Mississippi, my man. Good to see you checking in here. Now I know I'm connecting with you all. Um, the public school dilemma is nationwide and it's become Increasingly kind of focused here in Florida because of DeSantis, and you better, you know, pushing back. I just want to um, share a couple of things with you that um, DeSantis is not getting credit for, nor is he getting blamed for. Um, This has to do with the Florida High School Athletic Association. The Florida High School Athletic Association uh, oversees inter. Uh, scholastic athletic programs across the state of Florida. And it's a um, interesting organization in that it has a lot of say over athletics, of course, and what, uh, how big the school is and what other schools do and whom they play and uh, a lot of the other things that have been here before, kind of standard issue territory for the Florida High School Athletic Association. Um, traditional stuff like uh, um, keeping the records and, and keeping the coaches honest and making sure people don't steal kids from other districts, all that sort of stuff. But now uh, there is a proposed draft. I doubt you've heard about this. Uh, come, it's coming out of the Miami Herald, by the way. It's covered this where I found this. It's a proposed draft of a physical education form in Florida, now let me talk about physical education, by the way, I think one of the biggest mistakes we made uh, was um, taking out mandatory physical education at the university level. When I came to the University of Florida in the early 60s, I'll date myself here, the most influential professors on the campus really were the PE coaches who ran the physical education classes. And the reason was everybody had to take PE and it could vary. You could pick what you wanted to do. And mama didn't raise no fool. I took a look at synchronized swimming and realized synchronized swimming was basically all female. And so I could get my physical education credit for signing up for synchronized swimming. Now I got to tell you that I can't, synchronized swim now, or could I then? But I got credit for it. And all the class outside of me, were they were all females. And there weren't that many females on the University of Florida campus then because the university had just begun to transition from an all-boys school, whereas FSU had been an all-girls school. So certainly there was a high concentration of the women who were on campus in the Synchronized swimming classes, although not all, of course, because they could take other electives, too, to get their physical education off. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. But the bad thing about it is it took place seven o'clock in the morning. And I didn't realize that how cold it could be, not in the pool because it was heated, uh, but walking to and from the pool. So that was my little concern about getting my physical education credit taken care of. And I really think that when they decided that uh, physical education could be taken privately in all the various forms of athletic training in the gyms and whatnot, we kind of made a basic mistake. Um, physical education is part of education, but now it cometh before the Florida High School Athletic Association. A An interesting issue for this uh, group. This physical education form that is in a proposed draft is going to require all high school student athletes to get this to disclose information. Are you ready? Stay seated regarding their menstrual history. Now, you can imagine the pushback from that uh, from the transgenders and all the various forms of sexual identities, I guess, we now have. Uh, They're saying, uh, oh, this will harm the students for them to have to disclose on a form uh, their menstrual history. Now, this draft has been published uh, last month by the Florida High School Athletic Association and is proposing making currently optional questions regarding a student's menstrual cycle Mandatory. This was first noticed and reported by the Palm Beach Post. And we know that Palm Beach is one of the liberal enclaves of the state of Florida. But if this form is approved, it will ask the students, A, if they've had a menstrual cycle, and if so, at what age they had their first menstrual cycle. And I keep hearing from parents that that occurs earlier and earlier uh also their most recent menstrual period and quote how many periods the student has had in the past 12 months now these questions are appearing in the state athletics participation form they've appeared for more than two decades but up until now they've been optional now you can imagine that this is being uh, p- uh, criticized as an effort to stigmatize and demonize, you guessed it, transgender people in sports, and it's meant to further exclude a people who aren't assigned female at birth in girls' sports. Now that is the litmus test as near as I can figure from talking to the doctors and all the administrators about this. What is on your birth certificate? And the reason that needs to be known is because of any kind of medical issues that come up throughout your life, notwithstanding any kind of transformation you go through, because that genetic issue is there at birth. So this is the benchmark that's being used by the Florida High School Athletic Association. Um, so it is um being criticized, of course, by the president of PRISM, which is a South PRISM, which is a South Florida nonprofit organization that provides sexual health information to LGBTQ, XYZ, I put that on their youth, and um they have so labeled this an extremely invasive mode of gleaning into someone's reproductive history. And they have also tacked on to this statement. This is especially dangerous in the post row world we live. I uh, don't know what that's got to do with it, but they put that in there. Um, now, this is on the heels of DeSantis signing the parental rights in education law, which of the course these critics of that have dubbed Don't Say Gay Bill. And the Don't Gay Say Bill prohibits instruction related to gender identity or sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade and potentially restricting instruction for older kids. Now, a few months later, Uh, The Miami-Dade School Board, and this is coming article from which I'm sharing with you um, from the Miami Herald. The Miami-Dade School Board voted overwhelmingly against recognizing October as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender and Queer History Month. You know, the word queer has really been stolen. Uh, It really means strange. It's a queer cloud, you know. It doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. It means uh, it's a different looking cloud or that's a, uh, a queer looking flower, you know, it has not, but it's been stolen. So now queer, which I always thought was a slur, uh, but now it's become an adjective for history, queer history. If you, if you use the word as it's intended to be used, it means strange or different history. It doesn't mean sexually deviant from the norm history. But you know, this has lost this kind of nuance and language on most people. So don't think too much about it, okay? Now, the uh, Florida High School Athletic Association uh, has not responded to any of the criticism from uh, these groups who advocate for such things as queer history month. Um, this national form is used by more than a dozen other states. It requires information not be turned over to the schools. And so there's all this controversy about it. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that uh, this is in the Florida High School Athletic Association world. Uh, and it has a lot to do with physical education, um, which really is defunct. Um, has more to do with intersectional uh, sports at the high school level. Um, I don't know. I know that we don't have, uh, as I just alluded to, physical education in the college. So um, uh, here we are. Uh, Here's a parent's point of view I'll conclude with in the Miami Herald article. Uh, Juan Alvarez, whose daughter Annalise plays volleyball at St. Brendan School in Miami, has no issue with revealing those details Should the policy become mandatory? Uh, He's acknowledged that they haven't divulged such information in the past, but he said to the Miami Herald, I'm okay with it. To me, it's not a big deal. If only the doctors or the school, the FHSAA know, then that's fine. Uh, His daughter is now in the 11th grade. She plays an outside hitter defensive specialist on the school's indoor volleyball team. And that team went to the state semifinals this past season. So um, there you are. That's one component of the school controversy that you might not have been familiar with. It's um, certainly interesting, is it not, for those who, you know, why does the government, this question comes up, why does the government have to politicize these issues? It's because the left has politicized them. And if you don't come back with a reasonable retort, then you run away with the unreasonable kinds of behavior that a lot of parents object to in this. Uh, they don't see um, um, that that um, intrusive and they think it's very necessary to protect, of course, um, what's going on in these educational institutions. Now. I've been doing a little research, as I always do, on what really is going on uh, with the course and why is there, and you basically know what the deal is, uh, what we just alluded to. It is so clear of that, uh, uh, to, to, to the college board that the college board has a, released a, a rewrite of its framework for the high school advanced placement course in the African American studies. Now, in talking to teachers, and I was one for years, and I know a lot of them, they lament the fact that there has to be anything hyphenated in American studies. You see, there's no reason why to these teachers. They are, of course, they, you would could, you could uh, infer that they're not liberal teachers. Um. There's no reason why there needs to be the word African hyphen American studies. It's American studies, okay? Now, one of the issues with race in this country is that there's nobody, and I'm gonna make an ex- a comment here, it's not too far-fetched. There are very few, let's walk it back a minute, people in this country who can objectively talk about, quote-unquote, race. It is a curse on the nation that the nation has not been able to get out of its system. Now, Faulkner, who wrote exclusively about race relations in the South, Nobel Prize winner, the great novelist and short story writer, when asked one time about it, he thought it would take about 100 years for the country to get it out of its system. Now he was looking back and using as a benchmark about 1860. 1960 was when he wrote. So he said, 1960 on, uh, it would take 100 years." So about 2060, if you think about this, we will have some more children. By then those children won't know have a clue what you're talking about. So about 2060, according to Faulkner's speculation in those days, the United States of America would finally put this subject to rest. It'd be irrelevant. It'd be a waste of time to talk about. Uh, it really was a, a negative discussion, but it would take until 2060, but well, we're only another, we're another generation away from that. Uh, 25 years being a generation. So, uh, uh That was Thomas Sowell, Ken Hillier, who was the black man who said the way to stop uh, racism is to stop talking about it as Thomas Sowell. So along comes these zealots. You have to assume that maybe they have some honest objective point. But to me, the people who want to cram critical race theory and these sort of things, these pedagogical things into this course, uh, want to call it African hyphen are the C students. Uh, You can't let the C students write the papers for a course and have them become the standards. You can't dumb the A students down to the C student levels, which is what equity is all about. You see, equity, there'd be no peaks and valleys. There'd be no excellence. Everybody would be equal equity. This equity is absolutely counter uh, 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 not just counter uh, but antithetical to excellent teaching and critical thinking. So it should not be called critical race theory. It should be called critical thinking. And critical thinking will sort all the other issues out if you honestly teach critical thinking. Condoleezza Rice believes this. And she, you can argue, is, well, but the point about Condoleezza Rice and Thomas Sowell and these people endorsing this is that these are the A students. Black, white, Asian, whatever, these are the A students. And the A students are the ones you want to listen to. The Condoleezza Rices, the Thomas Sowell's, these people, the the Jason Rileys, these people know what they are doing and they can think. So... This is whom DeSantis is listening to. He's not going to allow in the curriculum something called Black Queer Studies. Um, queer is not even used properly as a word, as, a, as an adjective. What would you call it if you, didn't have to, if you didn't have to use that word? What would be a synonym for that? Uh, let's see if we can come up with one. And, and black is not a very good word. You know, black doesn't describe Negro. Negro is a race. Caucasian is a race. And Mongoloid is a race. And of course, these three are merging and producing a, a contemporary form of the genetic mixture. So if you say black, there are black people who are not African and there are African people who are not Negro. I'm going to give you a little piece of evidence here my sister-in-law is an African American
0: she was born in Liberia
2: she is an African American now technically I suppose if she wanted to be like Pocahontas she could claim uh, access to all the government programs that are set up for African-Americans, wouldn't she? I mean, she is an African-American.
0: This is the problem you see with this sort of
2: terminology. Let's see, when Martin Luther King was killed, then the word Negro fell out of favor and black power out of Oakland, California, took over politics, rhetoric, and the media picked up on it. The Elridge Cleavers with Soul on Ice, which incidentally was a very good book. Um, And they became the linguistic contributors. So ever since then, these things have all been confused. Post-racial racism. That was part of this, post what? What, Let me hear this again. Post-racial racism. Now what this doesn't, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't do. There are black racists too. I have friends who are black racists and I, 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 that's just it, period. They are as race driven and, 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 and prejudiced as
0: they claim the whites are. And post-racial racism Belies reasonable translation. So there are plenty of ways to teach the American history.
2: But as I said, the problem is you have to go outside the borders of this country. The, The work I used to use in my class was Roll Jordan Roll by Eugene Genovese, who is an Italian. And Eugene Genovese wrote Roll, Jordan Roll, and it's derived, in, it's written inductively. He didn't reach any preconceived notions about race in America. He went to farm journals, to diaries, to newspapers, all these particular pieces of work and looked for what patterns they presented. And when they presented patterns, Then he began to draw conclusions, which he tested, evaluated, hypothesized about, then eventually collected into uh, sections and categories in his work, Roll Jordan Roll, which is the title taken from an old Negro spiritual. So that was a work that I used in my class, and I called it research writing. It was not post-racial racism. We took a look at the work Roll, Jordan, Roll. We also took a look at the West and the World, a work written by Kevin O'Reilly. Kevin O'Reilly takes a look at slavery, at racism in the context, in the international context. In other words, you have to look at the whole uh, 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 whole racial thing in an international context before you can draw conclusions about how it's been used or practiced or experienced in the American. And then you realize right away there's a difference between North America, South America. There's a difference between East and West America. It's, you know, Gavin Newsom yakking about reparations, which I'm going to share with you in a moment, from California makes no sense whatsoever. There was no work out there that California was affected by. So I'd used Kevin O'Reilly's West and the World. I used Eugene Genovese's Roll Jordan Roll. I also used works of fiction. I used a great short story by Peter Taylor called What You Hear from Him. In this story, there is an old lady named Aunt Muncie who was the nanny for the aristocratic Southern families. But what happened after the wars, the aristocratic model of society was replaced with the uh, one we currently have, which is the mercantile middle-class structure where everybody uh, is sort of equal. Um, No extreme, no aristocrats. Okay, we don't have any aristocrats. So. But she's therefore a vestige organ. She has no place anymore in Thornton, Tennessee. Uh, The family is broken up. The kids she raised have gone to bigger cities. And they are in the car business or they're in some other form of of, uh, the modern world. They're off of the world of agricultural and agrarian lifestyle. So she's lost. Her way of, of, of existing was to keep pigs and she made do with pigs and she would slop the pigs by going by restaurants and things and getting that and taking it to the hogs and all that but there came a, t- a day when when the modern laws came along and said we no longer have a place for aunt muncie No longer can we do this. There's no more agrarian society. We're in Thornton, Tennessee. We have sidewalks. We have cars. We have supermarkets. We have piggly wigglies. We don't have people keeping pigs in their yard. But this is the point of the story. Aunt Muncie was so loved by the community that the sheriff would not arrest her.
0: The city fathers would not come and take away her pigs. So what happens? The community gets together and buys Aunt Muncie's pigs for a handsome amount
2: that allows her stature and dignity in the modern world. They will not go to her because she raised them. She raised them.
0: So they will not come back and say at Muncie, you're out of here. Get rid of your pigs. We're going to arrest you. No.
2: They took care of her without embarrassing her without making her do something, they took care of her by buying
0: her stock. So I taught that short story along with Roll Jordan Roll, along with
2: West in the World. Okay. And then I taught a great novel called A Cry of Absence by Madison Jones. And in this Novel, and I recommend you read
0: all the things I'm telling you. A lady
2: who is left with a plantation vestige thing that no longer can be maintained, the rural life is so difficult to maintain. It takes human people. You see, in the rural world, all humans were necessary. It took all people to make nature work. But in the city, all humans are not necessary. So this plantation is going under. The males are all gone because of the war. There are very few males after the war against Yankee aggression in the South because the North had to kill them all in order to defeat the South. Grant was willing to kill seven, sacrifice seven of his soldiers to kill one rebel. And he did it. So, kind of like Putin is doing right now in, in, in Ukraine. So many parallels.
0: So, the son
2: of the woman, Hester, she gradually realized, she comes to realize that her son killed a black man in the community. And as she begins to realize it, she makes a moral commitment and she decides to kill her son. And how is she going to do it? She's going to do it by asphyxiation with carbon monoxide in the garage. It's called a cry of absence, a cry of absence in the heart taken from a poem by John Crow Ransom.
0: That's how I taught
2: if you wanna call it race relations. I never called it race relations. I called it
0: research writing.
2: Be right back on the Word Scott File, stay tuned. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner
1: wonder if we can pet him.
0: Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No,
2: thanks. Help me. Help. Help. Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. I'm going to just go into the weather here a little bit with you, and then we'll get back. I'm going to list for Michael Lucas some of the books that we've I've been talking about, and so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, can't put it in the live chat myself, but I can talk, and you guys can listen to it and maybe put it in there. Um, yesterday, I reported, I think, uh, on, on the, this thing about the, uh, uh, the Arctic vortex, its Arctic circle. You know, it's a um, polar vortex. Um, the mythological name for it is Old Man Winter. Um, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Old Man Winter. But old man winter is going to deliver and this is out of hockey weather uh, from which I also watch the weather I watch all the weather uh, stations and patterns uh, when I explained the polar vortex to you yesterday it's a storm at the jet stream level of the atmosphere, and it has been you know you normally keeps the frigid air up there around the Arctic circle but old man winter every once in a while opens the door, and that vortex lets itself uh down into the lower part of the continent into the northern part of the United States and actually all the way down into Texas if the winds are right. Um, Here are some of the things that have happened. Uh, Temperatures uh, by late mid-afternoon in uh, uh, some locations in New England will be uh, 10 to 20 degrees lower than they will at the start of the day. Uh, The wind is averaging 15 to 25 mile an hour with gusts over 40. In the Appalachians and the Mid-Atlantic uh, stronger winds are going to be coming after that forty to sixty likely in New England by tonight, and this frigid air will take hold as soon as the sun goes down and it will plummet the temperatures even further. Um, the projected range between forty and sixty below zero, where most people live from northern New York State to New England, is uh, the real field to what they call a real field temperature uh, in locations at top of the mountains, the ski resorts it 's going to be feeling like 70 below, I never have, I have skied in minus 20 without any wind. And buddy, minus 20 is no fun. Um, The best ski weather temperature I've found is around 25 degrees. So anyway, that's gonna be tough. In Boston, they're gonna set a top five low temperature mark Saturday uh, when the core of the Arctic air settles over New England. It's gonna probably bottom out there in 10 below zero. It will be the fourth coldest morning in Boston on record since 1936. Uh, the lowest temperature ever recorded at Boston Logan was 14 degrees below zero on February 15, 1943. Um, this is going to be quite a deal for New England in the northeast part of the country. Uh, the temperatures and the wind are going to combine to really give folks uh, uh, an experience that is not all that pleasant. Um, Already, the utility bills are high in that part of the world. So you can imagine, wow, that's going to be that's going to go over. Uh, and Ken, Atlanta, I'm reading says it's in the 20s tomorrow. So I would get ready for that. Now, Michael Lucas, I'm going to go over once again, what I used as a reading list. And I'm, I'm, um, for you, first of all, I mentioned, Michael, I mentioned a work called Roll Jordan Roll by Eugene Genovese. Uh, That is one of the best works I can find on what is the real story about race relations in the northern hemisphere of the United States, America. Uh, It focuses just on the United States. You You see, slavery was a worldwide institution, and you have to look at it in different places to see how it was treated. Here, it was primarily promoted by the Puritans. Uh, the Puritans, if you realize, they escaped from uh, u- Europe because they just didn't feel like the, 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 the religious doctrine was pure enough. And they were falling out of favor in Europe as radical extremists. And they came and found a new country and established their radical stream- extremism here. Uh, uh, the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, young Goodman Brown, we be- they have written about it. Um, uh, The Crucible by Arthur Miller, uh, if you want to read about that. Uh, Puritanism started slavery in extreme form here because there was no manumission, no miscegenation. In the Southern Hemisphere, there was manumission and miscegenation. Uh, You could actually intermarry in the Southern uh, uh, South America continent, and hence you see the rich, diverse skin tone of a lot of people from that uh, policy or attitude. You also, in miscegenation, uh, manumission, you could buy your way out of slavery, which you could not do in the Northern Hemisphere because of the Puritans. Um, So you see, the Puritans had to have cheap labor because they needed, eventually, in Boston, what we're talking about, they needed that raw product out of the South for their cotton uh, mills in in the North. And so they really financed uh, the cotton mills in the South I mean, the, the, the plantations in the South, frequently uh, a business owner in the North owned a plantation in the South and had an overseer to run it. Um, it's a parallel today is to take a look at China. Uh, we get the products from China, but we don't make them here because we can't afford that cheap labor. So we let China make the shoes and pay the women uh, $5 a day, if you will, And then by the time we sell the shoe here, it sells from $100 to $200 with all the middlemen along the way, but we don't make the shoe here. Uh, This was not unlike what you had going on in the North and the South relations. uh, And therefore, Puritans really were largely responsible for the increase in need for, for indentured servants. You take a look at Roll Jordan Roll by Eugene Genovese. And you take a look, Michael, at The West and the World by Kevin O'Reilly. And it will put this whole subject in an international context for you. And then, of course, the story, which I wrote about, and my uh, analysis of What You Hear from Him by Peter Taylor uh, is printed in, uh, by the University of Alabama Press. Uh, and you can take a look and find that, uh, uh, that in, in, uh, in the University of Alabama Press publication. Um, if you, if you Google me, you'll find it. You also can find my essay about a cry of absence by Madison Jones. That's in the Chattahoochee review. So not only did I present these works to my class, I also did what I always did. I studied them. And in the class, just who I'm doing right now, you, are my class, you're listening to what I have studied. So I just presented for you what I had studied about the Florida high school athletic association uh, getting into the business of uh, sexual identity uh, and presented that to you in today's course, if you will. So um, the only reason anybody would tune back into the word Scott files is because you trust me. Uh, you trust when I say something, I, uh, and if I if my opinion, I'll tell you, it's my opinion. Uh, if it's based on research, which it always is uh, then, then you can look at what I got opinion from. So that's the case. Also, another work I used, which I have not mentioned yet, Michael, is uh, a work called Native Roots by Jack Weatherford. Uh, Jack Weatherford is a, an, anthrop- uh, an anthropologist, and he took a look at all the Native American tribes in this country in a magnificent work called Native Roots by Jack Weatherford. You have to understand that, too, uh, the, the, and what that world was like pre-European. Of course, there's many, many more things I could turn you on to. Um, uh, It's just, that's just uh, the top of the, uh, top of the mountain peak. So I want to go over now to something I find most interesting. Um, Ilhan Omar. Okay. Uh, We've got a, I don't know if you know this, but um, um, she got uh, her buddy, Elmar Omar got kicked off of the uh, uh, the Foreign Intelligence Committee, all that business, Foreign Affairs Committee, and her buddy Alexander Ocasio Cortez, a Puerto Rican lady <laughs> with a hot, fiery personality, freaks out over it. And I thought it was uh, uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that you take a look at it. I think production's got it queued up uh J- jared and tammy if you'll run it uh then i'll comment on it afterwards if you got it there had to turn my light on i apologize no i didn't have it on i think they're gonna run
0: thank you now As also, as a
1: fellow New Yorker, I think one of the things that we should talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America, and this is an extension of that legacy. Consistency. There is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life, and you all, and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an abdicate, a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who have, t- who has talked about Jewish space lasers and an, an entire amount of tropes, and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single Time apology expired. when my life was threatened. Thank you. Because I didn't get a
2: single Time apology has expired. when my life was threatened. Thank you. <laughs> I apologize for laughing. I think that's classic. <laughs> oh, my golly. Uh, let me give you a background on that. Um, they removed Elhan Omar uh, from this uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee. And um, they, all, they all went nuts, as you can tell. <laughs> and, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about what I know about Muslims in Congress. And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. And I've told it to you before, but you may not have been uh, attending class that day when I told it. And it's a weird story, buddy. I mean, I think I'm the only guy that really uh, would ever have experienced this. You know, in the research team, there are all sorts of you people out there in the community who um, give me information and tips and things about nature, and uh, we check them out, you know, and see what's all about. But one day I got a tip from a fellow, I'm going to try to disguise his identity as much as possible, um, who came to me and said, you know, you wouldn't believe uh, uh, what I've seen, and I wonder what it means. And this gentleman really uh, had it was a contractor, and um, he had access, full run, really, of this uh, religious camp. And I'm going to probably disguise the, the location of the religious camp uh, because I don't want to get uh, anybody my my tip my my guys who tip me off. You know, I want to, I don't want to, I want to protect their identity. So there was a religious camp in a, in, a, in an adjacent county here, um, and he said, you know, i have seen the darndest thing. And somebody had told him to look up Ward Scott and tell him about it. So we met and he told me what he saw. And he said that what he would see was, uh, and what clued him into, be suspicious, is that the the place had three-phase electricity. And he said, wow. He said, you know, what do they need all this three-phase electricity for? And uh, he was there. And furthermore, what he said he observed is uh, in the middle of the night, there would be this string of buses and I checked into how many buses, uh, how many people a bus will hold, about 80 people. A string of buses would come into this religious camp um, and um, it'd have all Middle East males on them, on the buses. And there'd be six or seven buses come in. So I thought, you know, I did a little math here and six times 80 and you realize how many people that is. And they're all males, they're all Middle East males. And he said, they have a call to prayer at this camp. And he said they have a big laundry in a big room, with a whole lot of people. And these guys would go into this room in the Middle East clothing, and they'd come out in the morning with uh, Western clothing. And he said in the morning they would arrive, he said it, make, it makes the football games whenever the, traffic, whenever the game is over and the traffic leaving, my golly, that's the only thing I could think of all these cars would arrive and it would pick up these guys and the way the cars would go. And the cars would have about, oh, four or five guys per car at the most. So, you know, you take 250, let's just use 250 for a round number or 240 goes, you know, four goes into that. That's 60 cars, isn't it? Or, I mean, that's a lot of cars and away these cars would go to points unknown. He wanted to know what in the heck that really was going on. Well, let me tell you, I went to the sheriff of that county. I went to the sheriff of this county. I went to Homeland Security. I arranged for Homeland Security to interview this guy. I remember we sat in a field way away from everybody and talked. Homeland Security knew nothing about this, absolutely nothing.
0: The sheriffs knew absolutely nothing. So, what's going on?
2: Well, I expected Homeland Security to be able to get on that religious campground and find out. Guess what? It's not easy to get on a religious camp, you know, facility. It's got another layer of protection. So, whoever was dumping these middle class males,
0: Muslim on this property, knew what they were doing. Well, a little more research. I
2: can't tell you too much more about what we did to to keep the place under surveillance, but I can tell you that what was discovered was that these cars were taking these people to various cities. And the number one destination was
0: Minnesota, where Omar is from. That became
2: the constituency for her. Okay? I don't think anybody else knows the story, so I'm telling you the story. I'm going to put this together with a Another story that is completely independent of this one, but isn't, it's absolutely, totally related. At the college, I had a Muslim colleague whom I respected a great deal. I'm not going to mention the name. Very, very bright person.
0: Come to me one day,
2: and I never told him this story, and he was all upset over something that the quote unquote Jews had done. And he comes by my office and he looks in my office and says, you did this to us. I'm thinking, this guy, my colleague, what, what's he talking about? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, no, you did this. To-. I did what?
0: He said, you put those Jews in the middle Of Muslim land. I said what? I didn't do it. No you're European. You did it. You Europeans did it. You put Jews in the middle. Of. Muslim land. And let me tell you how we're going to fix this. This guy told me. That
2: the way they would fix it. Was by infiltrating the United States political system and changing it by voting from within.
0: Well, a light bulb went off in my head. That's what Omar is doing. And Philippe or Khalib or whatever her name is.
2: And guess what? the democrats put her on the foreign affairs committee
0: do you see how the dots connect do you see how they connect you know who you, you know who was behind those buses come this come to find this out obama Obama,
2: he was behind those buses. They would come in in big C-3s, whatever you call those transport planes, and roll out of the belly of those planes and roll down the highways.
0: We eventually got videotape of that happening.
2: Know this? Homeland Security didn't know it. I can testify to that. Sheriffs didn't know it. I can testify to that. And why were the religious places, and I found out there's all of the country that were doing this, why would they? Because they got money, they got paid. These religious places
0: got paid. Now that's just coming from one tip. That I got from one fellow who saw something he didn't understand, so that's always been in in my uh, library, if you will, so when I see somebody like a o c going crazy I realize.
2: And by the way, that's not Ted Yoho she's talking about. She's talking about a guy from Arizona, who if you Google the man, he's, uh, he's a, 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 a congressman from Arizona. Uh, he's described as extreme right. You know, they labeled the guy. So if you criticize the squad, you criticize the removal of Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee, you're labeled extreme right, and that's something. Hey, you know, I enjoyed seeing OSC freak out so much. Can we run that one more time, Jared? Just for the heck of some people might have missed it. Is that can that be done? Thank
0: you.
1: Now. As also as a fellow New Yorker, I think one of the things that we should talk about here is also one of the disgusting legacies after 9-11 has been the targeting and racism against Muslim Americans throughout the United States of America. And this is an extension of that legacy consistency. There is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life and you all and the Republican Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that this is about an abd- a condemnation of anti-semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have t- who has talked about Jewish space lasers and an, an entire amount of tropes, and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the, in the United States of America. Don't tell me because I didn't get a single apology. Time has expired. But my
2: life was threatened. Thank you. Well, 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 uh, there you are, my friends. Um, uh, she does. She's she's imitating the black preachers, by the way, when that in that rolling voice and uh, uh, that rhythm that is so uh, contagious and infectious. And uh, you see the, the black folk in the back. Yay, brother, you know, you know preach, brother, preach. Um, and she's a New Yorker and, you know, these New Yorkers are, are <laughs> they think they run the world. But, uh, um, I just wanted to play that and tell you the story that I know about Omar and I know about the Muslim situation, which I was told and saw personally. So, um, I'll just give it to you for what it's worth. I have, uh, um, and, and obviously you know, the Republican Congress has caught on to her and has caught on to Tlaib and these people. And um, um, yeah, Ray, exact. Maxine Waters can go off on the Republicans. Uh, OASC can go off on the So here we are. You got to fight back. I mean, you you just can't take this, you know? And I think that this is the thing that's bugging them about DeSantis. Uh, They're already trying to say that DeSantis is doing this because he's running for president. I've never heard him even say that. He's doing, he said, because the people of Florida elected him overwhelmingly to take care of Floridian business. Uh, That's the big, that's the big point. Well, have a great weekend and um, behave yourself. Warthog Command Center out.